I want you to turn to Luke chapter 11 tonight. Luke chapter 11. If I could be an instrument of God to prod you or to urge you or to convince you of anything or any one thing, if I could bring to pass uh, just one thing only, it would be to convince you as your pastor and my people to be a person of prayer. It is the single greatest resource of the believer and outside of our salvation and the presence of the Holy Spirit, prayer is our most valuable asset, our most valuable resource. The great trinity of the believer's resources, if you want to refer to it, is that is the Word of God, by which we learn of all these things, of course. The teacher to, teaches us to pray and gives us promises to claim and instruction of how to, to go before the Lord. And then the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, our earnest, who has sealed us until the day of redemption, and then the privilege or the means of prayer. God, in His perfection, who knows all things and who has all power to do all things, has ordained that we pray for our needs and for His work. Now, it is a great mystery to us. He could do things unasked, could He not? No one asked Him to speak the worlds into existence or delay the foundations of the earth, or to set the stars in the sky. No one asked him to give, give each one of them a name, which he has done, and yet he unprovoked or unrequested did those things. But God in his creation, in creating us, and in his relationship with us, has ordained that we ask and come before him, and to ask him to do what he has pledged to do. This is an amazing thing, and he uses us in this way. There are many questions about prayer, and uh, we can only ask them, but we you know, come to many conclusions. The Word teaches us many things about prayer, and here's a portion of Scripture that does just that. In Luke chapter 11, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth, in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. We also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend which shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given given you, seek, and ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you, for every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit 
to them that ask him. God never does anything without reason. And God never gives us something to do that is not effective. He never gives religious rigmarole uh, for his children to practice. Some people have turned the precepts of God into rigmarole and vain things, but God never ordains empty, uh, endless, or dead-end means to do his work. That would be silly, wouldn't it? It would be fruitless, and God never does anything without purpose. He's always proactive. He changes not. And when he gives something, when he commands something, it is with purpose and it is his will whether we can fully understand it or not. He, all, he, all that he gives is sufficient. What he tells us to do is absolutely mandatory. It's not up for our vote or for our opinion. Or, and it is always effective or he would not give it to us. And so we rest in that premise when we come to the matter of prayer. Again, prayer is a means by which God gives us what we need. We're in constant need, aren't we? Every moment we're in heavy dependence upon the Lord for his grace and sustenance and to supply our need. And he's given us prayer for that means and by which he also accomplishes his work on earth. Does it seem logical or plausible that God would give his children a means or tool or a vehicle, a way of getting things done if it did not work? I think there's some believers who say they believe in the Word of God. But in a, in a practical way, they're atheists when it comes to the matter of prayer. They use this, this means very little or have very little faith when they come in presenting their needs before the throne of God. And what a deplorable thing that is. I want you to notice, first of all, that here in verse uh, 1, the request of the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Obviously, John taught his disciples to pray because they used John, and we're learning of John in our Sunday morning study in the Gospel of John. They, our Lord's disciples, some of them came from the ministry of John, we saw Sunday morning. And they said, John taught his disciples to pray. Would you teach us to pray? We also notice there in verse 1 that in a certain place, which seems to indicate that our Lord had a specific place or places where he went to have intimate, secret time with his father. And they observed him, and when he stopped, they did not interrupt him. We don't know how long this season of prayer was, but as Jesus was in this specific place, pouring out his heart, we know that on the Mount of Olives, there were places where he'd go. Those ancient olive trees would grow, and their limbs would go over like a tent. And I've heard and read that some of those ancient trees, you could go in and under those branches... And though people might be just a stone's throw away, they would not see you, and uh, you would be a very private. And so that may have been what the Lord had in mind when he was talking about a secret place. He had no house or a closet of his own, and he often went to the Mount of Olives to pray. But they observed him. They knew where he was. They knew what he was doing. And when he had ended, they said, teach us to pray. Praying had, in our Lord's day, had devolved into vain repetitions. Not unlike some religions today. Just read, prescripted prayers. Just full of religious jargon. No heartfelt request. Uh, In our Lord's day, that was the way prayer was. Meaningless religious mumblings and going through the motions. Matthew 6, he says in verse 7, But when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. The heathen, the 
worshipers of false gods used in their worship this incantations of lifting their voice and saying the same phrase over and over and over and over again. Or they would, it was almost like a hocus pocus or some ritual or magical incantations. They would just repeat and repeat and repeat. And the Lord said, that's not prayer and don't do that. It doesn't mean we should not repeat requests. We need, had bread yesterday, we needed food today, and we'll need food tomorrow, won't we? We praise the Lord for His grace yesterday. We need grace today. We'll need grace tomorrow. The repeating of specific requests, which we hear over and over again as we meet together, are because we need those things. But they're not just empty, vain uh, words, religious phrases said over and over again. We should make sure that they're not. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. And so our Lord here very pointedly says what prayer should not be. But here in our text in verse 9 of Luke chapter 11, he tells us what it should be. When I think of the vain repetitions, the first thing that comes to mind beyond some modern day religious groups who do just that was Elijah's contest with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. Remember the lines had been drawn and the contest was at hand. Uh, Israel was given over to idolatry and uh, the Baal worship was the predominant religion in Israel. Can you imagine? Sounds something like uh, America today, this so-called Christian nation when paganism and idolatry is rampant. And so it's not hard to see. When you read First Kings, you think, how could that be? But we look around us. How can things be as they are in our nation today? Where it is illegal and almost outlawed to say the name of Christ or to, to promote the things of Christ. As I've mentioned in a public school, it would be absolutely prohibitive. A teacher would be arrested for asking a pastor to come into a, a, a class, a history class, or any kind of, even a philosophy class, and talk about Christianity. And But in, in, in Elijah's day, the contest was drawn, and he said this. He said, you call on the name of your God, I will call on the name of the Lord. And the, the God that answers by fire, or clearly, obviously, let him be God. Well, they set to work, didn't they? And the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 18, 26, they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. And they went at it and at it and lifted their voice, repeated Baal's name, and Baal couldn't hear them, could he? We read the scripture reading recently, the eyes they have but see not, ears they have but hear not, the idols of men. And they cried aloud and cut themselves with lancets and knives until the blood rushed out. Oh, the, the cruelty of religion. That they thought they could appease Baal by doing such. John the Baptist and our Lord taught their followers to, to call on the name of the Lord plainly and simply, conversationally, specifically, with praise and adoration and outlining their request as a child would come to their earthly father. So not only do we see the request here, but I want you to notice secondly, notice who gives this prescription in verse 9 of asking and seeking and knocking. And I say unto you, who's speaking here? The Son of God is giving us this teaching and this method of praying. He's telling us this is how to receive the blessing of the Lord. This is our Lord speaking. We believe Him. We take Him at His word. 
He doesn't tamper with our emotions or tell us something that does not affect it or wouldn't work. How cruel that would be. His disciples have asked how to teach us how to pray, and he begins to tell them. And in verse 9 is the the text that we're going to deal with, just that verse primarily, ask and seek and knock. He gives them this very prescription. I say unto you, on my authority, and he ought to know, shouldn't he? He is the Son of God. He knows what pleases the Father. As the only begotten of the Father, I say unto you, ask. Nothing could be simpler, could it? What is prayer? How do we pray? Our Lord said, ask. Ask. Bring your request before the throne of grace. Aren't you glad that God does not make these things complicated? Now, preachers and religious teachers will take it and turn it into something unheard of and make it very complicated. But he, and he goes on to illustrate what he's meaning by giving a child or a, 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 a person going to their neighbor and knocking on the door and asking for something. And then uh, it's a child coming to the father and asking for something as a piece of fish. How simple that is. That's not complicated at all, is it? The request is given simply and plainly. Our Lord's words have power and they have authority. All the force of heaven is behind anything that Jesus says. Does he not say all power is given to me in heaven and earth? And so when he tells us this is how you pray, we better take notice. We ought to just take note. When he teaches us something, uh, all the wisdom and the agreement of the triune Godhead is back of it. Who is back of this command? Well, he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. The one who has set the laws of the universe in motion. Some would argue the sun's going to come up whether I pray about it or not. The earth is going to spin whether I pray about it or not. Or my request, how's God going to intervene with all those things? He set these things into motion and we can't get involved in all that. But I want you to know the one who has set the laws of the universe in motion who regulates them according to perfection, has told us to pray. He who knows all things, he who knows the end from the beginning, knows that we're called upon in this day. He knew when we would live and when we'd have prayer meeting in our own lifetime and when we would go to prayer. And he, he, he calculates all of that in the grand scheme of things and tells us to pray. Ask and it shall be given to you. Nature functions according to his divine will and power. Nature does what it does because he has set those things into motion. He can circumvent the very laws of nature if he has to, to answer prayer. We see throughout Scripture marvelous and amazing things. We need not expect him to cause the sun to stand still tomorrow, but if he wants to, he can. But He can just assuredly work around the sun or the forces of nature or the laws of man or kingdoms or rulers. He can work despite them or in spite of them or around them. It's amazing. In some marvelous and mysterious way, which we may never fully comprehend, God who knows all things and who, yes, predestines all things from the foundation of the world, takes in consideration in his infinite wisdom the prayers of his children, which he equally ordains. Is he not ordaining this? Pray, ask, seek. Well, if he knew that, if he was going to instruct us to do that, he knew that from when? From the foundation of the earth. There's no competition here. There's no uh, contradiction here from the believer to pray and the Lord being in charge of all things and working everything according to his sovereign will. Jesus tells us, quite simply, ask, seek, and it shall be given to you. Some might still ask, why? 
Well, I would tell you the short answer for that is because he commands it. And we never need anything farther than that when we come to the matters of the word of God. Does he not tell us to pray? If some might ask how, well, I would tell you according to his infinite power and his authority and according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's how he will answer our prayers. God the Son is the God the Father revealed to us. How marvelous that is that he who is without body, we could not comprehend him truly unless he graciously did what he do, did in taking on a body and coming to earth. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm just like the Father. How gracious of him who has no arms and legs and, and body to take on a body like unto us and to reveal the Father to us. He knows the mind of the Father. He knows the heart of the Father. He knows the will of the Father. And he said, I and my Father are one. This is the one who's saying, ask, and it shall be given to you. There's no problem here. If there's a problem that's on our end, I'll tell you what the problem is. We don't take him at his word. We don't ask and seek and knock. That's the problem. It's not whether or not God can do it or whether prayer is going to affect any change. He, he promises us to. He says, prove me now. And he asks us to. There's no inconsistency with the sovereignty of God and, and the, the, the precept of prayer. He who ordained all things has ordained the means to all things. And that is asking. And that is prayer. When my children were small, it was interesting when I was principal of the school, they'd bring home the little leaflets and flyers that I had written about the fall festival or whatever it was. And they would come and they'd say, they'd give it to me a little bit when they were just, you know, in the early grades. And they'd, they'd have some question about it. And they'd say, I don't know. I think this is what it means. And, and all the while, I was the one that wrote it. I, I could not ever get it over to them. I'm the one who came up with that. But it came through the teacher. And somehow or another, that had more authority than they didn't ever dawn on them. It came from my desk. And so I said, I, finally, sometimes I'd have to say, I know what it means. You can wear this tomorrow or do this tomorrow. That's what it means. Well, here the Lord Jesus says, I know I wrote this. This is what it means. Ask and it shall be given unto you. We try to make it something more complicated than that. And Jesus, he ought to know. He came from the bosom of the Father, from the glories of heaven, from the balconies of heaven. He who sat in eternity past in, in council with the triune Godhead, he's come to us to tell us how these things are done. And we as humble believers in this prayer meeting can bring our requests before the throne of grace and fully expect the Lord to answer them. Our Lord proved the veracity of prayer and the necessity of prayer by his own example. He didn't give us something to do that he didn't prove himself. He's just come from a season of prayer when the disciples asked him about prayer. He spent much time in prayer. He who was perfect, the perfect son of God, spent much time in prayer, often arose early before the, the daybreak to pray. Sometimes he spent a whole night in prayer. There must be something to it. There must be a, a need there. God must be moved by our prayers for the Son of God to do such. He prayed from the cross. Now, is there ever a time when we shouldn't pray? If the Lord was nailed to a cross and was dying on the cross with his dying breath, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? He made a request there, didn't he? He prayed from the cross that God would forgive his tormentors and lay it not to their charge. He prayed, why... Have you forsaken me? And the Lord answered him 
from the cross. In great agony of soul, in great pain in body, he prayed and he was answered. We are trusting the eternal destiny of our souls in the person and work of Jesus Christ, aren't we? Well, Lamb, the, the gospel tells me if I'll believe on him, he will save me. And that's where our soul is resting tonight. In our mighty Savior, he is mighty to save. Surely, if we can rest our souls in his care, we can take him at his word when he says, I say unto you, ask. It's quite simple. Ask. What is our Lord doing now in heaven? I'd ask you that. The Bible tells us he is sitting at the Father's right hand, making intercessions and pleadings for us even now. All power is given unto him in heaven and earth to bring to pass the very request that we're asking. I want you to notice also here the assurance that Jesus gives us in verse 9. It shall be given. That's a, that's a, a promise, isn't it? it sh- you shall find. It shall be opened unto you. There's no maybe here. There's no if. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. How plain could it be? Your heart ought to be filled with with praise and just uh, excitement and delight that you have this privilege and this invitation to come tonight. This this is the various kinds of prayers we pray. Uh, Praise and and requests and intercessions and pleadings and supplications. And there's some we've been praying for for years and years. I have a loved one I prayed for over 30 years before they came to faith in Christ. I was reading about a man who prayed for his adult children all of his, his life for them to be saved, and they would not come to Christ. And on his deathbed, he called for them to come. And to, 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 he, he, from his deathbed, he witnessed to them. And all of a sudden, as he was dying, great fear struck his heart. And he began to have doubts about his own condition and he died with an with a anguish of soul. His boys followed the hearse to the cemetery. And as they left the cemetery, one said to the other, Oh, it's horrible the way our father died. And the other said, And he was a believer. What chance do we have if we're so far from the Lord? And that man's prayers in the condition of his going home to be with the Lord struck fear and and uh, conviction in their lives, and they all came to repentance and faith. I would tell you that though his faith was weak at the end, and it was, who knows the physical or mental circumstances that were played into there, his prayers were answered after he went home to be with the Lord. Prayer is always answered. Don't ever let the, the devil whisper in your ear, it's futile, it'll never come to pass. He's a liar. That's all he has is liars. He's never said a true thing in his life except he borrowed it from the Lord. He lies. And you keep on praying. Though you never see it come to pass in this life, you will see it come to pass, I guarantee you. Why? On the authority of God's Word. If you ask the will of God, God will answer that prayer. All kinds of prayer is heard by the Lord and and will be answered. Prayers for forgiveness and cleansing and repentance and restoration. Some praying is simply stating to the Lord in plain language what it is we need, what our desires are. And then we find promises and examples in God's Word 
And we bring them before his throne. Oh, how our faith is built when we see how Elijah prayed. And we, we bring that before the Lord. Lord, Elijah prayed for this and you heard and answered him. And if God in his sovereignty waits to be gracious to us, as he often does, we learn to plead with him and to keep on knocking and, and, and by continued prayer, realizing, as Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted. The, if the Lord can get greater glory by waiting to send the request, don't we want him to receive all the glory that's due his name? That you may have, he may have mercy upon you, for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. What is waiting but serving him and praying and reminding him of the request? Asking is stating our case. When you ask someone something, you make a request. It is simply stating the request. Seeking is pleading our case. We don't only ask, we begin to plead and give reasons and give precepts. And remind the Lord. And we keep bringing it. And then knocking is earnestness. It's importunity. Our persistence in requesting our needs or our desires. Now all of this is part of prayer. Sometimes the Lord answers before we ask, doesn't he? We have, we have record of the Lord answering requests. You may have been praying for a need and it came about. And when you began to retrace all the background of it, he already had it in motion by the time you even asked him about it. Some prayers are, without knowing how else to say it, are answered very simply, very quickly. Some prayers, the Lord does, uh, we do seek. We keep on seeking. And the seeking is always to do some perfecting on our part, to teach us something, to show us our sin, or to help us to be more patient or loving, or whatever the situation to be. The knocking is often so that God can get great glory. His waiting to answer is for a very specific reason, though it may not ever be clear to us. God answers all prayer, any of prayers, in all these types of praying. Spurgeon says the clauses of this promise before us are not put, as we say in law, jointly. He that asks and seeks and knocks shall receive, but they are put severally. He, he that asks shall have, he that seeks shall find, and he that knocks shall have it open unto him. It is not when we combine the whole three that we get the blessing, though doubtless if we did combine them, we should get the combined reply. But if we exercise only one of these three forms of prayer, we shall still get that which our souls seek after. Well, even a child can ask. I'm so glad the Lord makes these things simple. He often brings childlike things to mind when he tries to teach us the deep things of God. Our children didn't have to learn how to ask, did they? They, could, they, got, they got their request over before they ever knew words. And they learned to do it early. And they learned how to be persistent at it too, don't they? And how to master the art of asking for what they need and want. It isn't complicated. We aren't talking about poetry here or oratory. I often hear some people say, oh, he prays such a beautiful prayer, or she prays such a beautiful prayer. And I often wonder what they mean by that. Is it the poetry of it? Is it the phrasing? Is it some spiritual artwork or artistry of words? That's not what God hears. That doesn't impress the Lord any more than, Lord, I is Peter sinking on the water? Lord, save me. That was the request, and it was heard. Or, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's not very flowery, is it? The guy's dying. His words are immense. He 
He doesn't have the strength to say much, but God sees much more and hears much more than the words, the emotion, the pain, the tears. All those are prayers. God reads them. He knows our thoughts from afar. And so, while people lift their voice in prayer, we, we're thankful that God allows people to lead us and guide us in prayer. It's not the words. It's not how they're putting phrases together. That's not the basis of whether prayer is real or effectual. We simply take our Savior at His word, don't we? And ask. Just make our requests plain before Him. Someone said, vague prayers get vague answers. We need to be specific. And we knock at the gate of heaven. And we seek that the blessing will be opened and poured out to us from above. Then I want you to notice lastly that the example our Lord gives us to illustrate the teaching in verses 11 and through 13. Again, he gives the father-child relationship here. If a son, and immediately a picture comes to mind, doesn't it? A little boy comes to his daddy and asks him for a, a, a biscuit or a piece of bread. Well, that's a simple request, isn't it? It doesn't take a father much to get a piece of bread for his son. I'm sure there's not great expense here. The, the illustration is to simply illustrate the father goes to the cupboard or in our day and time goes to the, the cabinet and opens a box or opens a refrigerator, makes a peanut butter jelly sandwich, gives the, the son a, a piece of bread. It's a simple request. Or will he give, will he, and he, he shows us the analogy there. The father wants to give the request of the child. It's a legitimate request. The child needs to eat, and the father meets the need. He doesn't give him a stone. Wouldn't that be cruel for a little boy to ask for a roll and the daddy to give him a rock? That's not our God. That's not our Heavenly Father. Or to ask for a piece of fish, for him to give him a snake. What a cruel thing that would be. That's the Father's thing from our God. So he so plainly illustrates, as he so graciously does, what he means by asking and seeking and knocking. Well, if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And as he goes on with the illustrations, he didn't have to give us but one, but he gave us three different illustrations, didn't he? And they become more and more powerful. The picture becomes more vivid. If ye then, being evil, are sinful, we're, we're fallen human beings, and we know enough to give our son a piece of bread or a piece of fish or an egg, simple requests. Those are simple foods, aren't they? Not elaborate uh, recipes there, a boiled egg, a sardine, a piece of bread, whatever it may be. If you know how to do that, good gifts, you see, God will give us that which is good. And we ought to make sure our requests fall in line with that. Has he not just told us in the context to ask for our daily bread? Bread meaning food. Whatever That old uh, English word bread includes all eating, meat, uh, when you use the word meat, it means all of food. And so he tells us to daily ask for that. We have every right as a child of God to ask these tangible needs to be met. These are good things. We're not asking for Lincoln Continentals or a Rolls Royces or private jets. That's not the, or some lavish a diamond or something we don't have need of. But bread, we have need of that. We need uh, daily sustenance. And I would go on to say that we need... Spiritual sustenance, don't we? Spiritual meat. When we come to the Scripture, Lord, open this, this portion of Scripture to me. Feed me from your Word today. Teach me. 
Because look at the last part. How much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We need the Holy Spirit's guidance and blessing and power in all that we do. And we have a right to ask the Lord. That's what we mean when we say, Lord, bless the Sunday school work. Bless the bus ministry. Bless the the vacation Bible school. What do we mean by that? For the Holy Spirit to take the scripture that's being taught across the street tonight to our young people and make it real to them and implant the seed of the Word of God in their heart that will bring forth salvation. That's what he's telling us to do. We have every right to ask the Lord to bless his work here. It is his work, isn't it? It is his gospel. This is what he's told us to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, allow the children to come unto me. Don't stand in their way. Don't be a stumbling block. We have every right to ask the Lord to do just exactly what he's told us he wants to do. But he tells us to ask. He, and I will tell you, he is not obligated to do these things for us if we don't ask him to. Why, why do we go unblessed, unrevived? Uh, why do we see lack of conversions? We're not asking and pleading and interceding. God has given us the method. He's given us the, the, the incentive to pray. Oh, may we take him at his word. Now, in verse 10, he gives us the, the assurance of the promise. Now look in verse 10. Verse 9 is the method. We're to ask Plainly, we're to seek, we're to bring out verses and promises, we're to plead, keep on knocking. Some prayers, requests will be asked of the rest of our lives, all of our lives, and we may not tangibly see it come to pass here, but I want you to know you will see those prayers answered at the judgment seat of Christ. How do I know that? Look in verse 10. This is not me speaking. This is the Son of God, the Savior of the world speaking. For everyone that asketh receiveth. What a statement. Everyone that asks these things receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And he that knocketh it shall be opened. These are promises, folks. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him. How do we prove him? In just this way. Asking, seeking, knocking. There's not a person in this room that couldn't give me a list of things that God has done for you. I have a little leather notebook that I have in my little pigeonhole in my desk. And I've recorded things down through the years, very specific blessings and answers to prayer that the Lord has done for us. You know, low times and times when it seems that if the, the, the God's not hearing prayer, I get that little book out and I begin to read. I see the dates and the facts and the figures. And it's an incentive to pray. And then I'm alarmed that it took something like that to, to spur me on when I have a verse like this staring me in the face. Ask, seek, and knock. God answers every true and spiritual prayer. Now James tells us we have not because we ask not, and he tells us we ask amiss that we might consume it upon our own lusts. Now we have to be careful when we bring our requests that they are legitimate. That they're what the scripture tells us to ask. But when we are asking God's will, we're asking it earnestly, there has never been a prayer, an instance yet, of a man really seeking spiritual blessings of God without his receiving them. The publican stood afar off, and so broken was his heart that he dared not look up to heaven, but God looked down on him. Do you have a spiritual need tonight? Bring it before the throne of grace. You have every right to ask it. 
Notice the promise in verse 10. Everyone. Let me ask you, is there any exception there? Everyone means everyone, doesn't it? Everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened to him. Well, we have the means, we have the precept, and we have the promise. We have it so clearly illustrated for us tonight. Why wouldn't we go before him tonight and bring our request before the throne of grace?